It has not been lost to us as a leadership team here at Grace Chapel that the Lord has uniquely blessed our faith family in the last few years with many young committed followers of Jesus Christ. For the sake of His great name, God continues to add a generation here to Grace Chapel, a new and a next generation to receive the trustworthy word of the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught and to pass it on faithfully to others, beginning here and continuing on, Lord willing, throughout the world. It has also not been lost to us that God has been bringing many of these individuals together in marriage, and beyond even that, that God has been entrusting to many of these couples the lives of young children whether through birth, adoption, or fostering. In short, over the last three years, many of you, as I've been the pastor here, many of you have become parents, or the number of individuals that you've been called on to parents has increased quite a bit. <laughs> as I jokingly refer to on uh, Wednesday night as often, this is our church growth plan. And so what we as leadership wanted to do today as a church is to set aside a day to highlight the significance and importance of the role of being a parent and to encourage those of you whom God has called to this role to be faithful in it, especially in our day when the rights and responsibilities of parents are continually being eroded and besieged. And so today, there's a lot I want to say, and in the short time that I'm given, I want to break up our time into four separate sections This morning. First, we're going to examine our current culture's view towards parenting. Just take a quick look around and realize what type of world we're living in. Then we want to examine the biblical case for parenting. Third, we're going to look at one of our major commands that God has given us in parenting. And then finally, we're going to reveal our church's commitment to parenting. So, our culture towards parenting, our case for parenting, our command in parenting and our commitment to parenting. But before we dive into this important subject, let's just ask the Lord this morning to help us understand His truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the opportunity we have to gather together to worship You this morning. Father, I thank You that we have the opportunity this morning to talk about this most important topic of parenting. Especially in light of this, I thank you this morning that we can call you Father. And that all right views of parenting find themselves ultimately in you. And that all of a sudden leads us to the task of parenting. It is to demonstrate your character. It is to declare your person. It is to lead those that you have entrusted to our care to a saving knowledge of you in the son in your son jesus christ and and so father i just pray that you would work in our midst this morning as your word is taught to reestablish here at grace chapel a commitment to parenting and parenting as you have called us to do Help us to stand as a light in this world, Father, and help us to realize that missions, discipleship, and evangelism all begin with the people that are living under our own roofs. 
God, make us faithful to our calling. And shape us according to your truth today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, when it comes to the issue of parenting, it would be good just to take a quick look around and get a sense of the view that our culture currently has towards parenting. Our culture towards parenting. And I think it's safe to say that our current culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards the idea of parenting and parents having responsibility and authority over their children. Let me just give you five quick examples. Many, 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 many more could be given this morning, but just five quick examples in this. First, in uh, 2021, there was a political race that took place in Virginia where one of the gubernatorial candidates openly stated that parents should not have a say in their children's education. In 2022, a political party in Michigan tweeted that the purpose of the public school is not to teach what parents want, but what society needs them to know. This past April, our current president stated there is no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Right now in New Jersey, the governor and New, T- and New Jersey attorney general are suing three school districts in their own state because these school districts actually decided, due to pressure from the parents, that parents should know if their child starts using a different name, gender, or bathroom preference while at school. The, ger- the governor and attorney general are arguing that parents don't need to know those things. In fact, to bring this all very close to home, this November there's going to be an issue on the Ohio ballot, Ohio issue number one, that is shockingly broad in its language. It's a proposal that would not only create a constitutional right to an abortion, which is a whole other sermon, but also allow any individual, even a child, the uninfringible right to pursue any reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. Even legal experts are saying that this is deliberately broad language for a proposal and it is likely referring to gender reassignment surgeries and that unless it is later struck down by the Supreme Court and up until that point, minors would have the legal right to pursue all such operations without needing any parental knowledge or consent at all. That is an issue that's going to be up for a vote by simple majority this November. So what's at the heart of all this? What's at the heart of all these comments, these lawsuits, these proposals? It's the idea that the state has preeminent authority over children, even above parents, at least when it comes to issues of education, health care, or personal identity. In cases like that, our current culture says that parents have no rights or authority, at least not ultimately. Are they right? Well, let's consider next our case for parenting. If we as parents believe, if we as Christians, excuse me, believe that parents have inherent and derived authority given to them by God over their own children, then it is increasingly important for us who are living in the type of culture that we're living in now to be able to explain why. Even as we've been seeing in the book of 1 Peter, we ought to be able to give a reasoned answer for the hope that is in us, a reasoned answer in defense of our faith. And Christianity's case for parental authority has two lines of argument, natural reason and divine revelation. 
So first, natural reason tells us that parents are the ones who have been given by God primary responsibility and authority over their own children. Just think about it with me this morning for a moment. Your parents are responsible for your existence in a way that could never be said true of the church or of the state. If your nation or your church had never existed, you would have just belonged to another nation or another church. But if your parents had never existed, then you would have never existed at all. In other words, the very grounds of your existence in an earthly sense is grounded in your parents. They are responsible for your existence. And those who are primarily responsible for starting your existence are primarily responsible for sustaining and shepherding your existence as well. Natural reason and logic and the natural world holds this to be true. With very few exceptions, even in the animal kingdom, it is the parents or parent who brings forth life that is primarily responsible to foster it. This is why Thomas Aquinas writes in his work, Summary of Theology, it would be contrary to natural justice if a child, before coming to the use of reason, were to be taken away from his parents' custody or anything done to him against his parents' wishes. It's contrary to natural reason. Those who are responsible for your existence are responsible for your existence. And the author has always occupied some relationship of authority over that which has been authored. And so natural reason tells us that parents are the ones primarily responsible for the protection and care of their own children. And by the way, we don't have to turn to the natural world to prove this. You can look at Scripture, and Scripture directly reveals it. And that is our next point. Not only natural reason, but divine revelation tells us that parents are primarily responsible for their children. Just in the 100 or so verses I looked over this week, it becomes abundantly clear that parents are primarily responsible for just about everything in their children's lives. Parents are the ones who are responsible to provide food and clothing for their children, not the church and not the state. Isaiah 49 verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion? And in Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus says that when their son asks for a fish or for an egg, even an unredeemed, unbelieving father knows how to give good gifts to his children. Why? It's because they know that parents are the ones primarily responsible to provide food and clothing for their children, not the church, not the state. Second, parents are also the ones responsible to ensure the mental, emotional, and physical well-being of their children. Not the church and not the state. Isaiah 63 verse, or 66 verse 13, after picturing Israel as a child who has experienced physical pain and hurt, God says, I am going to comfort you as a mother comforts her son. And again, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, Paul describes his ministry as being gentle, just like a nursing mother who cares for her children. Parents are primarily responsible to provide food and clothing to ensure mental and physical well-being. Next, 
Parents are the ones primarily responsible to manage and oversee their children's activities, not the church and not the state. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says that a person who desires the office of overseer should be an example to the rest of the flock. How? By managing his own household well, keeping his children submissive with all dignity. In other words, where the children go, what the children do, how the children behave, overseeing and managing all of that is the role of the parents. So parents are the ones primarily responsible to provide food and clothing to ensure mental and physical well-being, to manage and oversee their household activities. Next, parents are the ones primarily responsible to financially provide for and save up for their children, not the church, not the state. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Providing for children and the family is not the role primarily of state or government programs. It is the role primarily of parents. And 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 14 says, Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I'll teach a sermon on Social Security later. (laughs) But it is not the children's roles to save up to help their parents later in life. It is the parents' roles to save up to support their children later in life, even if it's as simple as helping them as they're taking care of you. So parents are the ones primarily responsible to provide food and clothing, to ensure mental and physical well-being, to manage and oversee their children's activities, to provide and save up financially. And then finally, parents are the ones primarily responsible to teach and disciple their own children, not the church, not the state. And I put those two together because biblically, teaching is discipling. Teachers are disciplers, and students are in the position of disciples. And the Bible makes it clear that the ones primarily responsible for teaching and discipling children are their parents. The book of Proverbs is full of this, describing the role of parents primarily as their children's teachers. Proverbs 1 verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. Proverbs 6 verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teachings. Proverbs 23, 22, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. And even Proverbs 31, 26 describes that it is the excellent woman, the excellent wife, the excellent mother who opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. This is why the foolish man in Proverbs 5, verse 13, after spurning all the words that his parents had ever given him, cries out, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers nor incline my ear to, their, to my instructors. Over and over again, the Bible shows that the ones primarily responsible for teaching children before the eyes of God are their own parents, not the church, not the state. Now that doesn't mean, regarding all of these responsibilities I've just talked about, that the church or state can't in some way offer to optionally assist parents in that role of teaching. But we as Christians need to make this very clear if we're going to stand for the authority of parents in our culture today. 
It is that when the church or the state does that, they are only operating as stewards and representatives continually of the parents, as those who have been entrusted by the parents to teach as those parents themselves would teach. Because even when their children are being taught by the church or by the state, the parents are still primarily responsible before God concerning what their children are being taught. And so you better make sure that what they're being taught is what you yourself would teach them. And so not only because of natural revelation, but also because of divine natural uh, reason, but also because of divine revelation, it is clear that parents are the ones primarily responsible for their children. They are the ones primarily responsible to bring food and clothing, to ensure mental and physical well-being, to manage and oversee activities, to provide and save up financially, and to disciple and teach their own children, not the church, not the state. And the church and the state, by the way, cannot infringe upon that right or authority. Because as Scripture makes clear, parental authority is a pre-political, pre-ecclesiastical authority. In other words... Parents' authority over children existed way before the church ever existed or the state ever existed, before it ever came into being, before the state ever came along or before the church ever came along, before anything else ever came along. The individual is primarily responsible for the feeding and fostering, protecting and providing, teaching and training of children were the parents. Parents have a pre-political pre-ecclesiastical derived authority and responsibility from God that cannot be infringed by the church or the state. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is our case for parenting. And in the culture in which we're living, you and I better learn how to give it because we're going to be asked to someday. According to both natural reason And divine revelation, parents are the ones who have been appointed by God with the primary responsibility to provide food and clothing, to ensure mental and physical well-being, to manage and oversee activities, to provide and save up financially, and to teach and disciple their own children. And that is a right which the church and the state cannot infringe upon. In fact, it is fighting for this very right that caused many of the early American settlers to take the perilous journey across the Atlantic to the New World. They were Christians that were fighting for parental authority and rights. We still are. We still will. Christians ought to be particularly concerned about any proposals which weaken the parental authority and oversight and therefore the moral protection of children. So we've seen our culture towards parenting. We've seen our case, our biblical case for parenting. And now that we know that there is a biblical case for parenting, next let's consider briefly our command in parenting. How are those of us who are parents supposed to operate beneath this delegated authority that God has entrusted to us? Well, probably the most central command regarding parenting in the Bible comes from Ephesians 6.4, where Paul writes these words, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This verse lays out, in summary fashion, the most important task set before every single believing parent, and that is to raise their children up in the ways and the wisdom of the Lord. And notice this verse is addressed solely to fathers. Why? 
because fathers are the ones that God holds primarily responsible to head up and lead the parenting and child training efforts in the family. The mother's parenting is simply to be the extension and substitute for the father's parenting when he can't be there. But it is never to be a replacement nor an alternative. So when it comes to parenting at home, we need to understand that God looks squarely at fathers. Whether your family is having family devotions, whether they're learning the word, whether they're being taught the faith, whether they're developing spiritual disciplines, whether they're participating in the regular worship of God among God's people, all of that rests solely on fathers. So men, are you at the helm of a family that's marked by spiritual ambition? Are you at the helm of a family that's marked by spiritual anarchy? God says you're the one to turn the boat around. You're the one to make the necessary correction. And you're the one to set the course. Sit down with your wife and tell her, Honey, we need to make our parenting more purposeful. What are some of your ideas on how to do that? So after addressing fathers as the one who's, ones who are primarily responsible to head up the parenting effort, God then says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, by your attitude and by your actions, don't stir them up to aggravation. Don't stir them up to anger. Don't stir them up to rebellion and contempt. And the parallel passage in Colossians 3.21 tells us why. It says, lest they become discouraged. Literally in the Greek, disheartened or broken in spirit. See, contrary to some parenting models out there, the task of the parent is not to break their child's spirit. The task of the parent is to shepherd their child's heart. As Paul says next, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That phrase, bring them up, has an agricultural bent to it. And it paints the picture of when you have a weak plant or a sapling And you help shape and strengthen that plant by putting alongside of it a stabilizing rod that gives it constant support and strength as it grows up. That's the role of the parent. We are to be coming alongside the hearts of our children every day and constantly shepherding their hearts to follow the stabilizing rod of the Word of God. This is exactly the truth that was illustrated this morning in the passage that we read from Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-9. Where it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, it's to be always present in the life of your family, the Word of God. We are to be constantly shepherding our children's hearts to be growing up alongside the stabilizing, guiding rod of the Word of God. We're to be bringing them up. And then, Paul says, notice, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice, not merely by, but in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Meaning that we are to immerse our children in an environment where the discipline and instruction of the Lord reigns supreme. Your children need to be seeing that it's not your words that reign supreme. 
They need to be seeing that it is Christ's words that reign supreme. And you're merely passing on the same expectations that you yourself live under. They need to be seeing that it's not your authority. It's Christ's authority. It's not your expectations for your children. It's Christ's expectations for them. This is the greenhouse in which their young lives are to grow. A greenhouse where one's actions and one's affections are constantly being shaped and strengthened by the example and instructions of Jesus so that everywhere they go, whether they rise, whether they sit down, or whether they walk in the way, no matter which way they turn, they're going to be seeing Jesus because of their parents' influence. Christ by your example. Christ by your teaching. Christ by your discipline and your correction. Believer, that's a weighty responsibility. And if you and I are going to parent the way that God calls us to, then you and I are going to have to be present in our child's lives and be Christ-like. Being parenting is not about loving cute kids. Those cute kids grow up and they get acne. Trust me, that's what happened to me. It just gets ugly, right? It's not about loving cute kids. For what does Malachi say? What is the one God seeking? Godly offspring. That's a weighty responsibility. To realize that the most important task in your life is not all the things that so often crowd out your attention. It's to be an evangelist and a discipler of your own kids. The ones who know you most of all. For you and I to be able to parent the way God calls us to, then you and I are going to have to be present in our child's lives to put that stabilizing rod there, and we're going to have to be Christ-like so that we don't undercut the very thing, the very gospel we're trying to proclaim. So, just because this is the job of a pastor, parents, are you? First, are you being present? Are you being present in your children's lives? Are you handing off your children constantly to be continually influenced more by others? Or are you bringing them, up, bringing them up by being present, focused, and an involved influence in their lives? Are you being present? Second, are you being Christ-like? Are you demonstrating to your children the character of Christ even in your parenting? As I was thinking about it this week from 1 Timothy chapter 3, are you managing your household well? With all dignity? Or are you managing your household because you can scream louder than your kids? Are you being Christ-like? What areas of your life and parenting need to change to be more present, to be more like Jesus? Fathers, it begins with us. So how about this afternoon again, we ask our wives how we can be a more present and more Christ-like leader and influence in our home so that we can stir our families up towards spiritual devotion and not spiritual discouragement through our example, our teaching, and our correction. And we here at Grace Chapel want to help you do that, which brings us to our final point. We've considered our culture towards parenting, our case for parenting, our command in parenting, Finally, I want you to know our commitment 
to parenting. I want you to know that we here at Grace Chapel are committed to help you shepherd and parent your children well. We already know that you're committed to this just by being here and for many of you by being a member of our church. As our church covenant reminds us, which we've all devoted ourselves to, we as members of Grace Chapel are committed to bringing up our children, such children as may be entrusted to our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we already know that you are committed to bringing your children up in the ways of the Lord. You've already devoted yourself to that task. What we want to do today as a church is devote ourselves to you as parents. To dedicate ourselves to helping all of you as parents carry out your calling for the glory of God. And there are several ways that we want to do that. Or at least start working towards that more and better. First, as you're leaving today... You'll find a document by the church office outside of it called My Family for Him, which is a year-long guide to family worship that I've created. It's very basic, where five days a week is broken into four basic sections where you can start by singing a brief song together, memorizing just one verse a week, read one chapter a day, and then finish in prayer with suggested categories for prayer that day. If you do that for a year... By the end of the year, you'll have the whole book of Titus memorized and the whole New Testament read together as a family. It's not anything special when you look at it, trust me, (laughs) but it is something that I created for my family and I pray that it might be a blessing for you as well. So that's that's for this Sunday. Second, next Sunday, we're going to have free copies uh, each of two parenting books that I would highly recommend to all of you. One is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp and Family Shepherding by Vadi Bakum. Vadi's book is a good resource to basically kick you into gear by saying, hey, you need to be doing this and here are some suggestions on how to get started. And Tripp's book is good at telling you, okay, now let's dive deep and let's see what this looks like on a day in and day out basis. So that will be next Sunday. Third, during this upcoming winter quarter, We're going to be offering a parenting class during our Sunday school hour at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings. We're going to be having a sign-up sheet for those Sunday school classes soon. And if you're a parent, I'd highly recommend you in signing up for that class as we're designing to help equip you in this task of parenting for our time. And then finally, and most importantly of all, we as a church want to commit ourselves to praying for you all. So beginning today, on every Sunday when there's a little rose that's included up here in front at the birth of a child, we're going to include in our prayer time that day prayer for the child, that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior, a prayer for their parents, that they would faithfully bring that child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and a prayer for us as a church, that we would come around these parents and help encourage them and help them in fulfilling their tasks for the glory of God. This is our commitment to parenting in our day. Because after considering our culture towards parenting, our case for parenting and our command in parenting, never has the need for parenting been more evident than in our day that parenting has a place. And we as a church want to commit ourselves to supporting you in that role any way we can, beginning in prayer. And so we're going to start right now. We're going to start right now. We can begin by at least starting with those who have had children added to their homes in the last three years. So if you've noticed in your bulletin today, uh, there was an insert that has the name of 
names of 30 children or more, I think, possibly, that have been born in the last three years along with their parents. That is awesome. And we've included that in your bulletin because we'd like to encourage you to begin to pray for these children and their parents over the next year because theirs is a most important task and they have a great need for God's grace. And we also want to start those prayers right now. And so, if you are a parent who has had a child added to your care in the last three years, whether through birth, adoption, or fostering, I'd really appreciate it if you could stand right now. Stand right now, because I'd like to lead the church in praying for you. So if you've had a child added to your care in the last three years, whether through birth, adoption, or fostering, I'm putting these names up just so I'm calling you out if you don't stand right. Um, (laughs) I'd really appreciate it if you stand right now so that I can lead us as a church in praying for you. And so... um, at this time, just so my wife doesn't stand alone, I'm going to join her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in times of need, find grace and mercy to help us in times of need. And those of us who are engaged in the task of parenting could easily confess that it is to be continually in a position of need. Father, we thank you for these souls that you didn't have to entrust to our care, but you did. We recognize the blessing and the reward that they are. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents. Help us to shepherd our children well. Help us to remember that our task is not to produce outward morality, but it is to point their heart to their need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents to walk closely with you, to observe and to learn from how you shepherd and parent us so that we might be able to pass that on to our children. Give us wisdom that you have promised to give without restraint. And help us, Father, to be faithful in our day and in our age that diminishes the role of parents. Father, we want to pray for our children that you have given to us. I pray, Father, that in spite of our parenting often, that you would bring them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That you would establish the work of our hands upon us, make it count for eternity, and that you would raise up another generation here in our church that knows your word, that knows your son Jesus Christ, 
And for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ stands firm in our day. And then finally, Father, I want to pray for us as a church. I pray, Father, that you would help us to not look on the families that are parenting from a distant perspective, thinking to ourselves, well, that's not the way I would do it. But that we would come close to the parents and that we would have a Titus II church where the older men are discipling the younger men and the older women are discipling the younger women into how to love their spouses and how to love their children well. Father, I pray that this would be where the Great Commission begins in our church by committing ourselves to reaching our own families. And Father, I I pray that you would help us. Father, we commit ourselves to you and to the word of your grace which is able to build us up and give us that inheritance of glory as you make us wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, to remember that there is a place for parenting. And may Grace Chapel be a place that remembers that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.